0: There is currently a shortage of epidemiologists in the U.S. And according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the demand for epidemiologists is projected to increase by 30% through 2030. But why is that the case? And what does that mean? This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with you're listening to the public health insight podcast your go-to space for all things public health and global health from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on apple podcasts and spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content my name is gordon your host for this episode along with our special guest, Dr. Annette Regan. Hi. Dr. Regan, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Sure, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me on this Saturday morning. I am a perinatal and infectious disease epidemiologist. I did my EPI training back in 2006. I've worked for a few different agencies, so I've, I've had a little bit of a taste of public and private epi work. So I've worked for CDC, I've worked for state health departments, now I work for academia at University of San Francisco. So my background is in maternal child health, specifically I do a lot of immunization uh, research and I am really excited to be here.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for introducing yourself. Dr. Regan, let's start with the most simple question of all. What is epidemiology?
1: Yep, that's, that's a good way to start. There's a formal definition of epidemiology, and that would be the study of the distribution and determinants of disease in the population. So essentially looking at disease at a community level. But I like to think of it more as epidemiologists are disease detectives. So we're, we're doing detective mm-hmm. work to identify what's going on, who's getting ill, why are they getting ill, what can we do about it? So they're really the the boots-on-the-ground public health people.
0: Awesome, awesome. And that sounds like a lot of work, especially if we're in times of COVID-19 pandemic or if there are other disease outbreaks. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you would say for people's expectations from a work-life balance perspective?
1: That is a great question. (laughs) Having (laughs) been somebody that's worked for public health departments like at the federal level and at the state level i can tell you i it's pandemics are going to keep you really busy as an epidemiologist and i know that there's been a lot of work that's gone into trying to keep people from burning out and keep the staff going and keeping the epi work going. So it's a really tricky balance. And this pandemic in particular has been tricky because typically with previous pandemics, it's not something that lasts for years. It's something that lasts for a couple months, maybe you know six months max. It's not something that goes on this long. So this has really been, I think, a learning experience for how to keep people happy and healthy, but keep the epidemiology work going. I would say outside of the public sector, it's a little different. Definitely there's a, a need, it's still a big need for COVID work in the academic setting and NGOs. We're all busy with COVID right now, but I think the pressure is a little less. Like if you're working for the state or a local health department, you could expect to be, especially during a pandemic, but even outside of a pandemic, you could expect to be on call Some people, especially Mm -hmm. if you're one of the medically qualified epidemiologists, you might be on call, you'll have a rotation. So you might be on call for like a a full week and that includes weekends, but they do try to rotate Mm -hmm. it because obviously we need that work-life balance. So yeah, it kind of depends on where you are, if you're in the public sector or the private and pandemics are going to be a, yeah, definitely a more intense time. But the idea is pandemics shouldn't last forever.
0: And for folks who want to get sort of a real world experience, learning and getting some insights from epidemiologists, are there opportunities typically where someone can shadow an epidemiologist or work to just understand a little bit more about what that work entails to know if it's for them? Is that common?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it gets a little tricky in the public sector just because there are you know restrictions on data and if they're working with patients and things like that, there can be some confidentiality things. But I think public health professionals are pretty open to being shadowed if somebody reaches out to them, especially if they're already in a public health program. And most MP, masters of public health or MPH programs that would give you training in epidemiology have a practicum requirement where you would actually be placed at a site And that would give you the opportunity to get some on the ground experience. Although I appreciate that you've already committed to the master's program at that stage, but I think reaching out to public health professionals, they're pretty open and pretty nice people, pretty open to sharing their experiences and like to get involved in mentoring and advising. So I think there's some opportunities out there if you put the Mm handout.
0: Perfect. If you could pick out a few core competencies of what would make an effective epidemiologist, what would those be?
1: Yeah, so I think the top one I would list would be curiosity. Sure. So if you're not somebody who likes to problem solve, you don't like figuring out the who done it, you got to have a curious mind. You got to be interested in solving problems, finding the answer because that's really at the core of epidemiology. So if you just don't care, probably not for you because you're going to have to do a bit of work to get to the solution. Um, I think you also got to have some critical thinking and problem solving skills. It would help to have some analytical abilities. So it is helpful to have a like for data, working with data, and because a lot of epidemiology is data driven. And I also think, so leadership, obviously all public health professionals, I think need to be leaders, but another biggie that's really emerged during the pandemic is communication. Mm. So I don't think we get a lot of training in this, at least not when I was doing my, my public health training, but I think it's something we really need. So being good communicators, as an epidemiologist, you're going to be doing some amazing analyses but at the end of the day, you're going to have to take what you did, drill it down to the basics and be able to communicate it to everybody. So if we can't do that, we're not really doing a great job, at, not really doing a good job. So I think that's something that's a really good skill to have as an epidemiologist, to be able to communicate to everybody what you're doing and what it means. And something that we learned we need to do maybe a better job at during the this pandemic.
0: Wow. I'm curious that about of all the five things that you listed really only as a technical skill, there was really only one in there being data analysis and the rest is around that mindset, that curiosity, how to be effectively communicate maybe orally and through data visualization and things like that. I think that was pretty enlightening for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The analytic is definitely there, but there's a lot more to it than just that. If you're, Just interested in analysis, I would say there's other areas as Mm. well, like biostatistics or data science, but to be a really good epidemiologist, it'd be nice to be well-rounded and be able to do all Mm. these, because you are, you're going to have to, if you're going to do field epi, which is where we actually go out to a community that maybe is experiencing an outbreak, you're going to have to work with people. Mm. You're going to have to go out there and maybe ask some sensitive questions that they aren't going to be super happy about answering you're going to have to go out and maybe implement control procedures like there's a lot of social things that you have to do as an epidemiologist so having that communication and social skills is can be really really handy and it helps to like what mm-hmm. you're doing so if you don't have that curious nature then you know it it just cuz that's what i love about epidemiology like i love I get called a data geek sometimes, but I mean, I love that somebody hands me a data set and they're like, I have this question and I can't figure out the answer. And that's one of my favorite things about the job. Going through this data and being able to say, you know, a couple of weeks later, this is what I think is going on. I think that's really fun. I like problem solving. Interesting.
0: You mentioned biostatistics or biostatisticians as being something separate from epidemiologists. Is there something an epidemiologist would typically do as part of their scope of practice that a biostatistician wouldn't normally do?
1: Well, I think they're really close partners. Mm -hmm. They're hand in hand. So a lot of schools, you'll see epidemiology and biostatistics is combined, like they're in one department. So they're really closely partnered. But I would say in general, biostatisticians are maybe less involved in the actual going out and collecting Mm. the data. They're very heavily involved in the right now I've got the data. This is the best way to analyze it. I need to be careful because this variable Mm. is distributed one way and this variable has a lot of missing. People didn't complete this one question very well, but the epidemiologist is going to be a lot more, I mean, they can do both and a lot of epidemiologists do get trained quite heavily quantitatively, Mm. but not all. Mm -hmm. Like some epidemiologists are that they're out collecting the data and doing the case finding and Mm. contact tracing, figuring out who could potentially be um, infected, doing a lot of that more social side of epi. But in general, I would say finding feature would be epidemiologists are a lot more involved in the collection of the Mm. data, whereas biostatisticians are mostly focusing on the analysis.
0: Okay. So this sounds incredibly exciting. Right now, I'm working at a health unit in Canada, not as an epidemiologist. You have me starting to think about maybe (laughs) a little career change. If epidemiology sounds so interesting, and it sounds like very great and impactful work, why are we having this shortage in the first place?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. Part of it is we know that we have a chunk of public health professionals that are retirement eligible. Mm -hmm. So we have that constant, but that affects all public health fields. The major reason, if you're thinking about supply and demand, we have a never ending supply of problems that keep coming our way. Even before COVID, we had Zika, we have a serious opioid crisis. We have a never-ending stream of problems that keep coming our way. And as these problems build, the demand for epidemiologists to, to help tackle these problems just increases. And I think the pandemic really showed us that we need to resource this pre-pandemic, like outside of pandemic. We relied really heavily on contractors and short-term workers, and that's really hard to do long-term. And it's not great for people as well to have ongoing like short-term work, we want to have full-time jobs with some stability. So I think that really this is really eye-opening that we need to have epidemiologists trained in the health departments or private sector, ready to go, and it needs to be done outside of a pandemic. We've got the health problems driving the demand, and I think as part of this pandemic, we're realizing we really need to invest in public health professionals and epidemiologists being one of those areas.
0: And what do you see as the most problematic thing that could come from us not meeting that demand for epidemiologists?
1: So one of the problems that I have seen and just having previously worked in health departments is, so you have all these different functions that an epidemiologist is meant to do. And obviously, when we're in a crisis setting, if we don't have enough people to do all the roles, we go to, all right, what is the most critical? The most critical at the start of the pandemic was figuring out what's going on, how is this spreading, how can we control it, who's getting ill, doing that, doing really intensive, trying to follow up every single case to figure out what's going on. Obviously, as the pandemic goes on, it's impossible to follow up thousands of people every day, but really intensive basic, what we call basic field epidemiology. But that means that all these other things that we're doing, we don't have the capacity to do. So that'll be things like investing in our surveillance infrastructure, doing our research and evaluation. So looking to see if interventions are working. It also means that we're pulling from other areas. So people got pulled from from chronic disease surveillance. I still am close friends with a lot of my CDC colleagues. And I know people get pulled from tobacco, people get pulled from reproductive health. So if we're pulling these people to staff COVID work or whatever the next, maybe it's Mm -hmm. monkeypox now, then we're not doing that work. And obviously that work is needed. And it means there's other areas of health that we're unable to address. So that's really problematic. We want to be able to Have our epidemiologists tackling everything they need to without having to pull people.
0: No, that's a very salient point. And working in public health myself, I do see that. I've been pulled into communications, pulled into different departments, and you're Mm -hmm. leaving. We're not on purpose, but that ends up meaning that we neglect certain programs that we would normally staff. And then for sure that could lead to a problem going forward. I wanted to hone in on something you mentioned a little bit before around the competencies that an epidemiologist would need to thrive in their work setting. And that brought up the question around, is there a traditional path to enter epidemiology, given that epidemiology could benefit from a variety of skill sets? Is there a one way to get into epidemiology? What are some of those common ways that you tend to see people ending up in epidemiology through their education?
1: Yeah. So the pathway to an epidemiologist, I would say just like any public, any MPH student, there's no one size fits all. We are seeing a trend towards people completing a bachelor's in public health, but by no means is that a necessity. We get people coming into epidemiology from all sorts of Different areas. Psychology is a big one, and Mm. that was me. I actually did not even know what epidemiology was before I, maybe like a month before I applied to the program. I was a psychology grad and I love math. I took math classes for fun in undergrad, and I mentioned I'm a data geek. Mm. And I learned what epidemiology was, and I said, I think I actually want to do that instead of continuing with my psychology studies. And I got into the program. I loved every single class I was in. So I was like, this is definitely for me. So there's not necessarily a traditional pathway or one pathway that you have to follow. It does help. It's not a necessity, but it does help to have uh, an undergraduate statistics course under your belt just because it gives you that experience and what it's like. That is not the day-to-day of an epidemiologist, but you do have to have some understanding of what the different types of data are Mm what variables look like, what it would feel like to analyze data. And if you hated statistics, it might be not necessarily, like I said, it's not your day to day, but without having at least that first exposure, Mm -hmm. hard to say if you're going to like doing the data type Mm -hmm. things that an epidemiologist does. So it's helpful to have a stats course in preparation, but not necessary. We get people from, psych, from health science. Even outside of the health sciences, I've had people, uh, I've known people that have done their MPH following like business type degrees Okay. who initially thought they were going to go into accounting, then decided to do epidemiology. So really, it can range. You just need to have an undergraduate degree to be able to get into a master's program. Mm.
0: All right. So that was very helpful. And that's Typically what we see with the different career fields in public health, there's not a linear way to do things, which is really exciting. Gives people the flexibility to explore other areas in their career development as they learn more. So I think that's very important. I know we talked a little bit in the beginning about someone who's interested in epidemiology, but they want opportunities to learn more from people in the workplace. But for internships specifically, is there a process maybe in the U.S. where people who are getting educated in public health or another discipline, if they wanted to pursue some kind of internship in epidemiology, is that something that's commonly available?
1: Yeah. So if you're in a a, a master's of public health or an MPH program, not every program requires this. Ours does. And I know a lot of programs do have a practicum component. So like an internship. And if you are... A, somebody who is planning on going into epidemiology, we'd be advising you to look for placements and like an internship site that is going to give you that epidemiology experience. So I usually recommend trying to find a placement at a local or the state health department. Mm because that's going to give you a really good taste for what it's like to work in that public setting and make a decision if that's for you or if you prefer to be in a research setting or in the private sector. I'm down here in Orange County, and we have great places to do your practicum, like OC Healthcare Agency, Long Beach Health Department, plus we have LA County. So there's lots of good local as well as your state health department to try and find a placement where you can get that experience before you graduate. And typically that's done in the last year of your studies. So it's kind of allowing you to use what you learn in your first year in the actual workplace in your second year.
0: So yes, everyone, there is a pathway to get an internship in epidemiology. And Dr. Regan did a great job explaining how some of your options to do that. Now, you've kind of already answered this as well, but we've got a lot of questions with people curious about where epidemiologists work. So typically people think of the public sector for governments, for health authorities in the state. Is there opportunities in the private space, consulting? What is your experience like on
1: that? We tend to think about like contagion and the people that are going out and uh, working up outbreaks and things like that, which is definitely a big part of epidemiology and what I thought I was going to be doing when I started out, I wanted to be like Kate Winslet in, <laughs> in Contagion. <laughs> and then I realized it was really, really hard and <laughs> the work-life balance is tricky. Mm-hmm. But there's actually, there's a lot of other roles besides that that Kate Winslet role. So you've got, yeah, even within in the public sector. So you've definitely got most epidemiologists work according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They work for the state government or the state health department. But there's definitely, it's been flagged that local health departments really need more epidemiologists. We're just not staffing those particularly well. And then there's also, of course, a ton of epidemiologists that work at the federal Mm -hmm. level, like at CDC or other FDA, other agencies. And and then you've got international, so WHO and other international organizations. And then outside of the public sector, there's also a wide range of places for epidemiologists. So you've got hospitals generally have an epidemiologist working in infection control. You've got nonprofits and non-government organizations, healthcare organizations, so big insurance providers like Kaiser mm-hmm. or Blue Cross mm-hmm. Blue Shield, they typically have an epi- somebody that's trained in epidemiology doing some analysis for them, research institutions, as well as universities and academic institutions like myself Mm -hmm. now doing epidemiology research. Mm
0: -hmm. Wonderful. It's
1: a big range. Yeah, big big range. range.
0: And while we're on that topic, we have a lot of internationally trained individuals or students who are looking to migrate to the U.S. and are wondering about job prospects and if there's a certain pathway through which they can enter the workforce in terms of the value that they bring, do you have any words of wisdom or resources that you can point them to?
1: There are quite a few EPI programs that I know for ours, I think our, the proportion of international students is somewhere between 15 and 18%. Oh, wow. So quite a few EPI programs do provide MPH to, or do serve international students. And there are some training programs that are available. I know I mentor a couple international students and they've gone on to or this was mostly in research Mm -hmm. because that's what i do but they've gone on to secure research epidemiology positions Mm. at different universities and have had the university sponsor their their visa Mm. because they are now upskilled have the epidemiological technical skills to do very specific work one's working in mental health uh, another one is working in chronic disease so there are pathways once you've upskilled with that epi training to find employment in the US I would say in honesty there's not like a large number of positions but they are there and they are possible mm-hmm. and then there's also postgraduate training mm-hmm. programs some of them do take international students and as well as postgraduate, epidemiology training programs Mm -hmm. that you could do in in your home country if you wanted to return
0: Mm. while we're on the topic did you want to get into a little bit about usf's new concentration in epidemiology for the mph program sure go for
1: it yeah let's get into that (laughs)
0: yeah so tell us tell them (laughs) what do uh, they need to know about the program when did it start what does it focus on
1: So we launched this starting in fall of 2022. So this is an applied epidemiology and population health methods concentration. So we have a couple different concentrations at USF, and that's really to help you specialize in the area that you're interested in and that you want to work in. And up at main campus, we have a behavioral health, we have a health policy and our um, community and public health practice concentration. We've talked about this shortage in epidemiologists and what we decided to do was really enhance the epidemiology training available down here in Southern California. So there are a lot of MPH programs, not as many epidemiology programs. As an epidemiologist, I looked at this and said, there's a need. And in particular, so this isn't just an epi and biosets program, this is an applied epi. So what that means is we're more focused on Training, giving you hands on training and things that you'd actually be asked to do Mm -hmm. at a health department, at a private institution, at a university, but post graduation, like you, you, we're going to teach you how to use GIS, for example, so you can learn how to map disease rates by for the state for the county for the country whatever we're going to teach you how to program in R and we have a data visualization course that we offer so teaching you how to actually create the the visualizations that you're going to need to communicate to your health department to your research team to the general community whatever what's going on with the data so we really more focus on the hands on rather than you definitely get the theory but the emphasis is on how to actually do it so that the idea being, once you graduate, you're ready to roll. You're you would be able to get dropped at your local health department or whatever it is and start working with their data and answering all those really serious questions mm, that they have. Okay. It's a two-year program, like the logistics. Two years uh, that includes fall, summer, uh, fall, spring, summer. Uh, It's 43 units to complete. And we offer this in hybrid. So you can be, this is all you're doing. If you're a full-time, full-time employed, this could also fit your schedule because we mix between online and in-person instruction. So we try to offer Mm. this in a really flexible Mm -hmm. format so it's available to everybody. Mm. And we take international students. Mm,
0: There you go, apply. Is the application cycle complete for the cohort?
1: The most important question, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we, we actually take applications on a rolling basis. Oh, okay. I believe we do have a few spots still available for the incoming fall cohort. If you were interested, and obviously we'll still we'll consider applications. We only admit for fall, mm, right. so we have a few spots left for fall 2022. And then if you were interested in applying for fall 2023, of course we welcome those and. Um, I think my details are available through the podcast. I'm always happy to speak outside of this with anybody thinking about applying and wanting more info.
0: Perfect. One question we get asked from our international community as well is, is there a certification or examination that one would have to take to become an epidemiologist allowed to practice in the United States?
1: Yeah. And that's a good question. I think I mentioned that there are some epidemiologists that are medically mm-hmm. qualified and some epidemiologists that are PhD qualified, like okay. myself. Okay. I don't have a medical background. Mm-hmm. So if you're medically qualified, of course, like all the rules and requirements that apply to medical professionals would apply to that. But in terms of the epidemiology side, we don't have a certification or, or any... Um, licensing requirements like that, I would say it's helpful to have something in your portfolio to be able to show like, hey, this is what my training was in epidemiology. This is what I can do. So if you have like a report that you were involved in, if you have a paper that you published or something, it's always helpful to have that to back up like this. In addition to my training, this is what I've done. Um, And then of course, having generally you would need a master's of public health to work in epidemiology. So having the degree would be important, but there's no licensure or certification.
0: Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.